Hello and greetings from the Institute of Democracy and Economic Affairs, Ideas Malaysia. Thank you for tuning in to the ASEAN Prosperity Initiative podcast series. And as a background, ASEAN has agreed on an ambitious agenda of economic integration among its member states, primarily through the ASEAN Economic Community Blueprint 2025, or also known as the AEC Blueprint. Now, through this podcast series, we ask the question of, how much progress has been made by ASEAN member states in fulfilling the four pillars of the AEC Blueprint? In this episode, we will be focusing on the third pillar of the AEC Blueprint on equitable economic development. And the theme for today's discussion will be on narrowing the human capital development gap in ASEAN. My name is Ker Jane. I'm a researcher from the Social Policy Unit at Ideas Malaysia. And joining me today for this discussion is Dr. Lee Huok An, Senior Fellow at ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute. Dr. Lee's work um, focuses mainly on inequality, affirmative action, labor, education, and development policy. Welcome, Dr. Lee. Thank you for being with, here with us today. Thank you so much uh, for having me, uh, and I look forward to this conversation. Great, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, so let's just get uh, started with the conversation. So um, as part of the third pillar of AEC to promote equitable economic development, the Initiative for ASEAN Integration Work Plan or the IAI Work Plan has listed a few agendas to narrow the development gap in ASEAN and human capital development has been listed as being one of the key priority areas. Now, can you share with us a little bit of uh, what is the role of human capital development, such as education, skills development in advancing ASEAN economic integration and AEC? Yeah, well, this is a very uh, broad and uh, sweeping uh, question, but I think I will address it uh, in uh, three uh, themes. I'll just focus on, I think, uh, three important uh, aspects here. I think though, uh, I just want to say also at the onset that uh, education, um, you know, human, uh, whatever is under the umbrella of human capital development is primarily a very domestic issue. It's, uh, you know, uh, being delivered uh, through uh, domestic institutions. And there's also right, the issues of, you know, national language and so on. Uh, and, and so I think just a, this is an important uh, context and it relates to, the, I think, the first uh, theme here of the uh, importance, the role of uh, human capital development. I want to broaden it to uh, human development. So it's not impo important just for quote unquote capital and its contribution right to, to the economy and production, but, but just as in principle, a, a good public good and a, and a personal good on its own, right? To have uh, more uh, education and, and skills. I think it's, you know, there's basic education, I think, which also is rooted in the notion of basic rights. Um, you know, the, the Millennium Development Goals, Sustainable Development Goals, I think are also articulated along, along these lines. But of course, it contributes as well towards uh, what people can do with that education, uh, expanding capabilities and choices, empowerment, more participation and upward mobility. So for sure, right, it also contributes in material ways is towards uh, higher earnings capability and and uh, and, and quality of you know uh, life and higher income. I think another important dimension as well that needs to be brought up here is about gender. And education has an important role um, in narrowing uh, gender gaps. 
And I think on this note, I just want to add, and there'll be some more data to share later, but this is you know, helpful for illustration that the female enrollment in tertiary uh, education um, is higher than male enrollment in tertiary education in, in all ASEAN um, uh, countries. Now, the second one, and I think this is expanding beyond the uh, domestic context and looking at it more in the regional as well as, the, of course, uh, um, individual economies. I think it plays an important role. Um, education and skills development play an important role in structural uh, change. Uh, countries in, in uh, economies in the development process, you know, uh, typically go from being primary industry, uh, primary commodities and agriculture towards industrialization and, and along the way, um, gaining in, in, in productivity. Now, some of this is, uh, uh, What's the role of education you know, in this? I mean, you know, these, these processes can take place with, with, with or without very uh, major gains in, in human capital uh, development, but I think greater education would certainly facilitate and enhance the process of increasing productivity, not just in, in uh, industry, but also in, in agriculture. It can promote as well uh, a more uh, uh, productive um, a more kind of uh, developmental process of, of urbanization and getting more gains out of that uh, structural uh, change. And, and so re regionally, I think we, we are dealing with a region of uh, Southeast Asia with <clears throat> high income countries. And maybe just to put as well a bit of a context there, Singapore and Brunei are classified in that category um, that uh, with income above US uh, dollars, 12,700. And then there's the upper middle income countries of Malaysia and Thailand, which with income between 4,000 and 12,700. And then lower middle income, that's the other countries, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Myanmar, Philippines, and, and Vietnam. So the lower middle income, you know, they, they do also tend to be uh, characterized, right, by uh, less um, industry, uh, less of industrialization that has taken place, uh, lower uh, productivity. And as well, if we look at the supply chain uh, um, dimension, uh, the lower uh, income, lower middle income countries tend to be engaged in more labor intensive, lower wage uh, uh, processes as well. So I think regionally, it's, it's a process. Uh, I think the, the attention to, ed to education and, and human development right, is targeted at facilitating the catch up of the lower income towards middle income and then higher income countries. I just want to add a third uh, dimension here and um, specifically also in the regional context of labor uh, mobility, uh, meaning uh, specifically the uh, movement of, of uh, labor across, not just labor, uh, of course, it could be also migration, uh, but moving across uh, countries. And I mean, we uh, currently that the, the kind of scenario can be uh, in its sort of simpler, uh, simplified form. There are three main uh, hubs that are receiving labor in Singapore, in Malaysia, and uh, and, and Thailand. Um, and they, the but the kind of profile of, of workers that are flowing into these uh, countries, right, it, it differs. And largely, though, it's still with very low-skilled labor. And I think part of what uh, I think ASEAN aspires to do is that there will be more flows, not just of the current uh, lower-skilled labor without tertiary education, but also more skilled workers um, and flowing in different uh, directions as well. And so this is part of, you know, the 
um, uh, enhancing, right? Uh, narrowing the gaps and enhancing the, the uh, sharing of prosperity uh, in, in the region. Right. Yeah, so um, what are the existing human capital development gaps within ASEAN as well as between ASEAN and the rest of the world? Yeah, so I was saying just now that, uh, yeah, there's, uh, the ASEAN is, is quite uh, stratified and I referred to income just now, but it also, you know, translates into uh, education. And I think the most illustrative is the tertiary education enrollment um, where, Singapore, you know, is at about 90%, um, and Malaysia and uh, Thailand, the upper middle income, in, which are in the upper middle income category is about 45 to 50%. You have Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, not far behind, um, you know, but distinctly still at the lower level of 30 to 35%, and then Cambodia and Laos at about uh, 15%. Uh, um, so there is, there are these uh, differences within the region. I think how we compare globally, you know, what is some of the, well, what is the reference point? I think some of the useful ones could be what's the average for lower middle income countries, which is about 25%, and upper middle income is about 55%. The advanced uh, OECD uh, member countries at 75%, and, and uh, regionally, just a sort of one baseline, Asia, Pacific, East Asia and the Pacific is at 50%. So, you know, um, Malaysia is kind of in the region of, um, it's kind of on par with, with these, I think, more relevant um, com, uh, uh, baselines, um, but in some ways a little bit behind. Uh, but have to say though that, you know, some of these categories like lower middle income and all that are very, very broad. So it's just a really, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah, not um, you have to yeah take take it all with with a with a pinch of salt. Um, I think you can see though that yes you know there's countries that that we really have uh, quite a, uh, a distance to go in terms of catching up and especially in promoting uh, tertiary uh, education. I think another important um, uh, data point is uh, and getting increasing attention is this called any. Uh, youth who are not in employment, education, or training, NEET. Um, and that too, there is some variation. It's only about 4% in Singapore, 12% in Malaysia, and about 15 to 20% in, in most of, of the region. So yeah, I think um, the, the main uh, attention, uh, focus, I, I suppose, would be on the, the gaps within the region, right? Um, of course, if you look at uh, globally as well, you can certainly find ways that uh, ASEAN countries you know, are, are ahead in some ways uh, relative to the most relevant com comparison or behind as well. Right, so you've outlined some, uh, some human capital development gaps within ASEAN maybe, and you've highlighted specifically in tertiary education. Um, so since the establishment of the AEC Blueprint and the IAI Work Plan, what progress have we made so far in narrowing these gaps in ASEAN and how has COVID-19 affected it? Yeah, well, I have to say, I, I, I'm, not, um, very, very, I'm not very familiar with uh, the specifics of the Blueprint and, and IAI uh, Work Plan. And as I said just now as well, uh, education institutions and the delivery is, is still you know, highly... Uh, domestic. Of course, I think all the countries have uh, been making some uh, uh, progress if, if we track over time. So the data that I have just uh, uh, 
mentioned just now are the most recent figures from about 2018, 2019. Now all countries are moving uh, upwards. And I think um, it's fair to say that there has been some uh, uh, catching up. In some ways, there's, it's, it's a, a very um, uh, natural, in a sense, process because you know, the, the gains can be made a lot steeper right, um, at, at an earlier uh, stage. If you think of uh, primary or secondary education, right? Well, the, you know, you're achieving universal 100%, right? It, there, there is that kind of upper limit. And I think moving up from 50% to 70% can happen more steeply, you know, but the kind of the last um, marginal gains from 80 to 90% are going to happen a lot slower. So in that sense, I think the catch up from those countries that have a lower rate, you know, is, 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 um, uh, it, it's, it, it can proceed, um, you know, due to some of these sort of uh, factors in which uh, the, the gains can be made, can be accelerated when the starting level is, 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 is lower. But I was saying that um, it is very uh, domestic and, uh, I think in the sense here of whether of to what the question of to what extent you know it can be addressed at the regional level and southeast asia right has some distinct um, uniqueness which also pose uh, challenges i mean it's part of the you know cultural and civilizational uh, richness of, of the region in which there are such a range of languages um, that come from also different language roots and different uh, families. But this is a very, you know, uh, a very an, a, a major uh, barrier in whether um, uh, education can be, uh, uh, how much it can go, you know, how much it, it can be implemented across borders with, you know, students flowing, uh, crossing over into other countries um, with, in comparison to, to Europe, Right where there, there is there is diversity of languages, but also come some common roots like you know French and and um, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian uh, from the from the Latin roots. In Latin America, it's even more uniform with you know predominantly uh, Spanish speaking and of, and some uh, Portuguese as well. But the the variety of you know different alphabet systems even in in, in Southeast Asia right is uh, much uh, wider. So I think that's. Um, Another aspect, I mean, there are many about Southeast Asia, right, and, and that, that, that pose uh, challenges, but I think, you know, that, that's certainly one where um, that I think it, it's, it needs to be uh, uh, recognized, right? but obviously there can be uh, work done to, to overcome some of these barriers. I guess maybe we'll talk about that in a little while, but to the question about uh, COVID setbacks, I think it does depend on uh, the country, and countries had uh, adopted different uh, strategies of um, and, and and the timing of of the restrictions and mobility and, and school closures, but I think all migrated to online learning uh, to some extent and some for longer periods of time than than others. So how has it affected? I think it, it does depend on uh, again on 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 the, those uh, variables and as well the level of preparedness to migrate online. You know, there's also this, the, the, the kind of systemic structural uh, issues related to uh, connectivity um, and, and availability of uh, digital uh, devices. Uh, yeah, so I think in general, yes, definitely, you know, there have been uh, setbacks. Um, but uh, it's good, I guess, that yeah, the vaccinations have, have uh, progressed 
uh, quite well in the region and, and with the uh, you know, reopening, the, each country can, can begin to uh, address the, the, those uh, COVID effects uh, on education. But I think, yeah, it, it's a bit, um, uh, maybe a bit soon, although I'm sure a lot of research is already being being done, uh, you know, to uh, to uh, actually sort of measure and get a good grip on on what were those those effects. But certainly, some cohorts, uh, you know, have um, yeah faced uh, lost time and, and lost quality education in the last two years. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think moving on to uh, my next question would be. Uh, what are some of the implemented initiatives that uh, contributed to narrowing the gaps of human capital development in ASEAN? Well, I think um, the region, uh, you know, as, as a whole, I think it's uh, also looking to some of the examples in Northeast uh, Asia uh, has prioritized um, education, Right, and uh, human capital development uh, skills uh, training, and uh, so you know you can we can see that uh, it's certainly given the attention because of the high, relatively high uh, rates of uh, achievement in terms of uh, enrollment, in in terms of provision of uh, schooling and so on. And I think uh, where the countries have achieved uh, greater uh, quantitative gains. In, in like in terms of uh, enrollment and completion, the intention needs to be increasingly placed on quality. So of course I would uh, know Malaysia better than most other Southeast Asian countries, and and that's been uh, you know the, the story um, that uh, with achievement of you know close to universal primary and and. Uh, you know, getting quite far in, in secondary enrollment, right? The, the question has been, uh, the challenge has, and attention has been a lot more on the quality of uh, education. I think the sharing of experiences across countries within, within ASEAN is, uh, I'm sure has taken place. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure about the exact, um, you know, policies uh, region-wide or, or, or they are very ASEAN, uh, specific, but I, I'm sure that it's part of a lot of the the uh, dialogues that take place um, in in ASEAN. And uh, you know, if we just also look at the process of the how kind of it's 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 tiered and 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 the countries that are um, uh, catching up with the others in in ASEAN, I think the models that they are also following within the region, they would see that uh, there is a lot of emphasis placed on. Um, uh, education. Yep. So bringing us back a little bit uh, earlier, you mentioned uh, that so the the variation in terms of culture within ASEAN, ASEAN being very unique, and many people speak different languages. They learn different languages in school. And uh, what do you think? So so you mentioned that this would be a barrier to education. Um, in regionally, right? So what are some of the implications on uh, labor mobility within ASEAN in this case? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, is a, it is about the regional uh, context and you know, the flows of people, uh, whether for education or work within the, uh, within the region. Um, I mean, I think there are, um, 
the countries that do have a little bit more in common, and and I think you can we we, we see you know that also translating into uh, more labor uh, flows, and I'm sure for education as well, uh, with uh, Thailand right attracting more from its neighboring countries. I think that would be for also combination of the regional, the geographic proximity, and I think culture, you know, uh, food and, and, and language, uh, a bit more similar there as well. I mean, there's the archipelago and, and uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, and, and there, um, there, there are much less uh, language and, and uh, cultural and, and religious uh, barriers. I mean, you can include uh, Brunei, uh, Singapore uh, as well to, to some extent. Um, I think at, we are talking mainly at the tertiary level. So there are, of course, also uh, English um, uh, institutions, uh, English speaking or using English medium, um, tertiary institutions or specific programs. And so I think this is where there will there can be also more uh, opportunities when there, of course, is uh, a common uh, language. Um, I think for uh, the language, I think you know affects the the the, the scope for um, labor flows. I think it depends also on 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 the kinds of occupations and maybe industries as well. If it is a more advanced um, jobs and higher skill, I think the, 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 there, there will be greater requirements for, you know, uh, for common language and the ability to, you know, to, to converse and interact at a higher level of sophistication. Um, whereas, uh, you know, the more routine jobs, right, uh, doesn't also require as um, advanced command of, of, uh, of, of a common language. So I think, yeah, it would be in the interest of ASEAN, you know, to be, um, uh, moving concurrently, right, with skills development in different countries, um, uh, moving moving up towards higher skills, but also, you know, promoting uh, uh, proficiency um, in in uh, common languages. I'm not restricted to English, I think, but obviously, you know, that would that is uh, the the operating language, and it is sort of it is the global language, and where there's also access to uh, literature and 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 uh, sort of vast uh, knowledge uh, base. I think an added uh, aspect to, to this is um, the credentialing, right, and recognition of qualifications. And I think this is probably also an area that uh, where there's, uh, I think, a lot that can be um, advanced, uh, and which would help with uh, mobility across countries. It's difficult when uh, when you know uh, workers have whole qualifications but have difficulty getting that uh, recognized, and I think this is where uh, institutional ASEAN can can step in and facilitate that process. Right. Um, yeah. And so, in in the era of digitalization, and as ASEAN prepares its labor force for the future of work, there has been a lot of talks about um, how TVET fits into all of this. So based on your observation, uh, has there been much progress in terms of the TVET programs regionally in ASEAN? Well, it's a difficult question to answer in the regional uh, uh, context. I mean, I think uh, it, it's uh, country by country. I think you could, the data would show that there's been more attention and I think some uh, gains there. I talked, uh, you know, 
the Malaysian uh, experience is that, well, Malaysia is very good at policy, policy making. So on paper, <laughs> it all looks quite good. But it is continually the uh, is sort of this, this frontier, right, that is difficult to, to reach and making breakthroughs in, in terms of really, you know, establishing the linkages with industry so that the skills that are developed through TVET, right, are very uh, are effective and, and in demand and then con can command uh, good uh, salaries, um, you know, but I, I, I do see that, you know, the, the, the parallel process about what I was uh, saying, you know, uh, repeating uh, throughout in, in that, um, you know, you have the, the, sort of the leading more advanced economies, you see in Singapore that, you know, um, TVET, it, it's yes, still a bit of a secondary a role in terms of the prestige, in terms of the income that can potential, the facilities of the, PEC, of the, of the Polytech Institutes. Um, and I, I think definitely the policy is to raise the stature. Uh, Malaysia is, is also, I think, in trying that. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that it's something that all the countries are looking to, but of course, you know, it, it's uh, very, very challenging. It involves uh, carefully crafted uh, investment and accountability. So moving forward into a, a post-pandemic world, what are some of your thoughts on what needs to be done to accelerate our progress in narrowing the gaps in human capital development within ASEAN? Yeah, um, in the context of post-pandemic, uh, I, 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 maybe I won't really address the question about this online learning. Obviously, it's still uh, you know, on people's minds. I mean, I think the general, uh, I think what our countries have probably taken from this is to be, to be more uh, prepared, you know, should that uh, pandemic uh, that is highly, uh, transmissible and also virulent will happen again. But I think the attention is going back towards right the in-class learning, uh, the the on-site uh, at the workplace uh, training. So I, I don't really see post-pandemic anything drastically uh, different. I think it's getting back to what countries will probably you know plan the plans that were. Uh, disrupted, you know, Malaysia had its education uh, blueprints. Um, there's been some setback. I think, yes, the cohorts that are affected, right, that needs to be really uh, researched, the, the fuller consequences of that and whatever uh, remedial uh, measures need to be uh, taken. But I, I think, yeah, education, you know, is really has to still be uh, hands-on, has to, you know, address the age-old uh, questions, right, about effective uh, teaching. Um, I mean, perhaps the continuous learning aspects, right, the uh, possibilities for that, that use online platforms, I think, yeah, there, there, there could be, uh, you know, that uh, the, the pandemic uh, may you know, have um, accelerated uh, the offerings there. Um, but I kind of on a personal note, don't think that uh, the migrating uh, on in, in a very whole scale manner, right, uh, in, in sort of a uh, towards um, online learning versus uh, in person and face to face should take place. I, I still believe that, you know, the, uh, the in person uh, instruction and, and, and learning together and 
uh, not just about individual skills, but also social skills uh, and, and, uh, and forming right, of uh, friendships and networks. I mean, these are all, all other also important uh, aspects and important uh, uh, benefits that can yield, uh, you know, for, that can benefit the individual personally, psychologically, and also the economy and society and, and democracy. It is, I think it's very far reaching. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee, for your time. Uh, that's all the questions that we have. Um, everyone, that was Dr. Lee Hwok An, Senior Fellow at ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute, sharing his views on narrowing the human capital development gap in ASEAN. And we hope you found this discussion insightful. And thank you once again, Dr. Lee, for your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much for this opportunity. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening and see you in the next podcast.